Welcome to the Investing Evolution Podcast with Vince Esposito and Rob Isbitz from SunGarden Investment Research. We are an investment firm that takes an alternative approach to the most common investor objectives, preservation, income, and long-term growth. We focus on bottom line outcomes, not what everyone else is doing. In this podcast, we clarify confusing investor issues, bust investment myths, and discuss how to invest in any investment climate. Our number one goal is to help you think about investing in a different way, a more straightforward way, without all the fluff and sales tactics of the Wall Street culture. Listen in as we share stories and insights on how to offer a truly unique approach to investing. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another Investing Evolution podcast with Rob Isbitz and Vince Esposito. I don't know if anybody else has been paying attention to what's going on in the markets, but they just don't seem to work or behave in the same way that they have in the past, which is the topic for today's podcast. All right, guys, let's go ahead and just dive right into this. What the heck is going on? Thanks, Matt. Good, good question. You know, I mean, obviously, things have gotten a little bit more volatile in the last couple of months, and it's something we've been discussing on our investment committee meetings quite a bit. And I think one reason is a lot of folks don't understand that even though there's a lot of different funds out there and a lot of different ETFs out there, which are driving a lot of the volume in the market, a lot of them own the same things. And so it really accentuates the movements in in one direction or the other. Wait, 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 wait. Say what you just said again, because I, I don't I don't know if I just got that in my brain. What what I heard you say is the ETFs, many ETFs are investing in the same thing. So when something happens to the market, it's going to hit more than one fund. Fair? Did I say that right or no? That that is that's a fair statement for sure and and also a lot of the volume in the market happens to be in these ETFs, right? There's not that many folks out there or firms out there that are trading individual stocks anymore. Right. And, and so what ends up happening is I, I'm not sure of the exact stat Rob might know this, but I, but I know it's more than half the volume in the market these days is driven by the machines. It's the algorithms. Yeah. I think it's about 60%. Yeah. So, and, and they just trade these ETFs. And so you may, someone may have a bunch of ETFs that they own in their portfolio in their 401k or, or, or whatever, even in, in mutual funds and not realize that they may own two or three ETFs that all own, as an example, Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so what, what ends up happening is this, all this volume, you know, in these ETFs move, moves things around it, just exponentially more than it used to in the past because there's so much money flowing into these things and they all own again a lot of the same companies and there's a uh there's a second sort of compounding factor to that also following what what vince just said and nice to be with you guys again so it's not just the etfs but it's the so-called high frequency traders a lot more hedge funds than there were 20 30 years ago and so when you add up people who are investing passively in index funds and people that are really just trying to scalp a few dollars here and there constantly, the compounding effect is that, and there's another stat which 
have to check, but I think it's probably about 90% of the money out there right now, 90% of the trading volume does not really care so much what they own. They're buying it for many different reasons as opposed to back in the day when people like Mintz and me would look and say, oh, this is a great company and we think it's reasonably priced. So let's buy it. And in three, four, five, ten years, we expect to make a pretty good return on it. That entire element of investing, it hasn't gone away, but it has been minimalized by a lot of this other interim activity. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, Rob. I, I think what ends up happening is folks, they don't even know what they are, right? They, they may have an ETF and they have absolutely no idea what's in it. They just know it's a low cost index fund and it's been doing well for the last eight years. So they want more of that. But but how how are you just up against a wall here, guys? I mean, how how does one buck this trend? How do you how do you adapt? How do you evolve? I mean, you know the 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 idea behind what you do is this this evolution, right? How how do we how do we evolve past this massive trend that's seemingly swaying the markets? Well, it has a lot to do with who the end audience is. I think a lot of people, uh, investors really have to make up their minds individually. Do How much do they want to kind of join the herd when it comes to this? And how much do they want to say, you know what, I'm going to shut my eyes. I used to call it the Rip, uh, the Rip Van Winkle approach to investing. Mm-hmm. Uh, close your eyes for 10 or 15 years and look up. Now, if you're a very young investor and you have decades before you're going to use the money, perhaps, then you have a little more leeway. The issue is that so much of the money that is invested in the stock market and the bond markets these days, at least by individuals, is invested by people that have accumulated their wealth and they're closer to using it or they're already starting to use it as opposed to simply you know, saving a few dollars a month in an in investment account. And so they really can't turn the other way toward this. And so that means that firms like ours, frankly, step in, evolve our own process from what it was maybe 15, 20 years ago, which is a little bit longer term approach, and start to blend in a combination of tactical approaches with the long term approach. We think of it really as another form of asset allocation, uh, kind of like allocation by uh, by the time horizon in which you're going to judge your investment results, because it's not realistic these days for people to say, oh, I don't care what happens to my money as long as I get X in five years. We don't see a lot of that. We'd like to see more of it, but we don't. Um, so adapting to that is something we've made our uh, business because uh, yeah. we're protection first investors. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Rob. I mean, I think first of us, first of all, our firm being being willing and recognizing that you have to evolve is critically important, right? Because it's so easy to say, well, yeah, no, this has worked well in the past. So why change it? It's not broken. And we completely throw that out the window. Mm-hmm. We know uh, based on our research and uh, look, we, we could be wrong. I mean, it's a, it's not 100 percent, but but based on what we're seeing, we know that what's worked in the past probably isn't going to work in the future. 
So I think that's that's a first really, really important step for investors to think about is, okay, am I willing to change? And am I willing to evolve my process? And then from there, oh, well, then what the heck do you do, right? Because we both grew up in this business. No one taught us how to be long, short investors. I don't know, I don't <laughs> know about you, Rob, but no, nobody taught me any of that in school or any of my mentors or any folks I you know, grew up in this business with didn't even know what that meant. Now, you do, Vince, you just you 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 just kind of triggered a thought in my mind because I was just thinking about how did I learn to be a long short investor and how did I even start to care about it? Mm-hmm. And it was about I'm going to say 21, 22 years ago, maybe 1997. Good year. Yeah. So back then. You had in uh, you had investment markets that were just had run amok, and it was still the dot com bubble era. And sure. I was starting to think ahead and say, you know, this isn't going to last forever. And so I started looking for ways to hedge against what I thought would be an inevitable market disaster. And of course, a lot of uh, the stuff I've been writing in Forbes has been referencing exactly that period. Except a little bit later on, 1999, 2000, uh, which was the beginning of a three-year, uh, three consecutive year down uh, period for uh, uh, for the stock market. The only advantage back then was that interest rates were much higher than they are now. And that's the other thing I think here. You know, we've talked about the stock market so far and what has changed, but uh, I think Vince and I would agree the number one thing that has changed is uh, interest rates are, are low and starting to creep higher, which means two things. One, what people are used to getting in that so-called you know, super conservative savings rate or just beyond that, that is lower than it was. It's a bit of sticker shock. And again, a, another compounding effect, as you start to see rates go up, uh, look, it wasn't long ago where you could get a mortgage uh, that started with a three and now they start with a five and yeah. uh, we're really just at the beginning of stages of that. That's sure. that's a complete mind bender to the consumer uh, slash investor, right, Vince? Oh, yeah, it, it absolutely is. You know, and, and I think what ends up happening, too, is you, you get folks that are out there uh, trying to chase returns in some of these asset classes that they think are still safe, like high yield bonds is, is a, I think a really good example. And you end up, you end up getting a phenomenon that we see every time at this point in the cycle. And and I want to touch on that really quickly because recognizing the point of the cycle that we're in is critically important. And, and, and you get late, say late cycle stuff going on, like too much money, chasing too few deals or too few asset classes or too few low cost ETFs. And when you see that start to happen, to me, that just puts up red flags everywhere. And so I I think that's another thing for investors and advisors to be really cognizant of is that there's this phenomenon of late cycle and too much money chasing too few, whatever, stocks, asset classes, ETFs. Wall Street tends to have this really bad habit, uh, and investors, uh, unfortunately, fall prey to it. The habit is this. There's a great idea, and then more and more money goes toward it, and more and more product is formed, okay? 
Mm -hmm. I'm going to say maybe 10, 12 years ago, this was hedge funds. Today, it's ETFs. We love ETFs. We just don't love that there's more of them than there are stocks on the exchange. Mm -hmm. uh, that's been a situation with mutual funds for a long time. Wall Street has this habit of uh, taking an idea uh, and it overdoes it. And, uh, and then what people assume was the right thing to do becomes nothing but another uh, thing where there's victims of this herd mentality. And yep. before we leave the, 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 let's call it lower quality bond area that Vince had, had brought up before with the high yield bonds. So certainly high yield is where people look. Uh, I know in a lot of our research, uh, we've been looking at the let's call it the sustainable health of the bond market uh, and i'm not talking about treasuries per se because it's a little bit of a different animal but when you look at the bond funds that people own and there's so much uh, individual investor money in bond funds it used to be that you'd be buying a lot of double a single a rated bonds well the the percentage of triple b bonds which is sort of borderline junk if you will the percentage of triple Bs in bond funds today is, I think, something like double what it was 10 years ago. It used to be 25%. Now it's 50%. Oh, sure. And and again, I, my big word for today, I guess, is compounding, except it's not compound interest. It's compound uh, uh, trouble or warning. Mm -hmm. Not only do you have all those triple B bonds flying around, but a lot of them are what they call uh, warning technical jargon. They they call them covenant light, which means that the bonds don't really have as many obligations to the end investor, the person who's lending the money to the company, uh, as they did in the past. And so it, there's a lot of ways for companies to kind of squirrel out of paying interest payments. And it just it just makes for one of those things where you're sort of plodding along and nothing goes wrong, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, wham! You know, you have defaults left and right, yeah. and you know it, that can happen in the bond market. It can also happen uh, in the in the consumer market you know, as people get too leveraged. It's the same yeah. the same concept. Yeah, and, and I agreed, Rob. That's a good point. I do want to touch on so because we love to 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 get on our soapbox and slam bonds all the time, which is really, really fun. I mean, I, I, I do enjoy it, but there's the opposite end of the spectrum. And there's an interesting thing that's going on in our portfolios. Isn't there, Rob, when it comes to bonds? Because we actually own some for the first time in a long time. And not not the type, type that you're talking about, not the triple B, not the lower quality, but if you get into the really short term, super high quality stuff, it's viable in our opinion for the first time in many, many years, because you could actually get paid a few bucks and it beats the heck out of sitting in cash. And if you're looking to be defensive, which we certainly are in this environment, and we can get into some of that, there's some pretty interesting places to go and make a little bit of money. Yeah. As of the date of this uh, podcast, anyway, we pretty much restricted it to U S treasury uh, securities. Yep. Yep. And the reason we're doing that is not so much because we love bonds, but because we do believe that ultimately when there's a bond market and or stock market freak out, that people are going to run to what is the perceived safe haven, quote unquote. Uh, and that yep. has traditionally been uh, treasuries. 
And uh, you know, look, our economy in some facets is doing pretty well. There are others where there are very uh, severe signs of uh, a recession on the horizon. We write about that more than we'll probably talk about it in detail on these podcasts. But that that leads you to uh, to a situation where where you really have to almost be ready for anything. Because this generation of investors, in other words, people who are close to retirement, in retirement, they may have seen shades of this, but uh, I think Vince and I are both shocked at, at how uh, much people forget maybe what happened to the markets and to their wealth at an earlier stage of life. And when I say earlier, I mean 10 years ago. It's like it was all forgotten. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I mean, people certainly have short memories. I wanted to just tell a quick story, though, getting back to the theme of going against the crowd, not doing what everybody else is doing. And it's 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 so difficult to make smart investment decisions based on how you feel. Right. So so critically important to not only evolve, change, do things differently than everybody else, but have a process to fall back on. And so back in the early 2000s, an old boss of mine went to work for for a company that had uh, managed futures funds. And at the time, I didn't know a lot about managed futures, but uh, educated myself and and learned a whole lot about how they work and what they do and why they can be a a pretty interesting part of a portfolio. Ended up adding managed futures to my portfolios. And for three years, every single client review I had, everybody brought it up because they weren't doing anything don't like these, don't know what they're for. They're not doing anything for us. Doesn't feel right. I, I, we're, we're, you know, there's a big chunk of our money here. It just makes no sense whatsoever. I'm sure no one listening to this podcast has ever heard that or felt that way before. But uh, it, it's amazing that you, know, you, you flipped the calendar to 2008 and that was the, one of the only pieces of our portfolio that did well and it did phenomenally well. And, and, and I think having the conviction in your process to do things differently, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying managed futures are the right thing at all right now. I, I, we don't have any, I haven't done any research on them. I cannot speak to managed futures funds at this point, but I think having something, uh, part of your process that you have conviction in that you, that, that you feel really confident will work if things get really, really ugly I think is really, again, super important to think outside the box with that stuff. And and before we even get to any specifics, which again, I don't think we'll do much of that on, on, on these podcasts per se, but we have plenty of other resources for folks to look at uh, in that regard. It, it's not that we're saying that, that there is no reward potential. Everything we do as investors is we're we're balancing what is the reward potential and what is the potential for major risk or major loss in value. Great point. And, uh, you know, so there is still plenty of reward potential. It's always there, but we're just saying that, and I'm not just between this podcast and the next one that comes out in a couple of weeks, we're talking for the next, you know, several years, uh, a higher level of risk, versus that reward potential than we have seen at any point in the last 10 years and perhaps maybe even going back to the beginning of this century. And that means not that you cower uh, or put your money under the mattress, 
but that you get a better understanding of what risk management really is. And of course, that's what Vince and I have lived on. It's our bread and butter for 50 years collectively. Uh, Are we that old? <laughs> in uh, in career years or dog years or cat years or something like that. Uh, so, look, risk management should be a very high priority. And, you know, the profit opportunities are occurring in a different way. They're smaller yeah. and they're more fleeting. They're, it's a lot of them are more short-term than they were in the past. Uh, yeah, this is kind of late bull market cycle for stocks and early bear market cycle for bonds. And so it makes sense that you would have to change the way you uh, approach things. And at the end of the day, I think the number one thing, because we can talk about what all the issues are, but I think what folks would want to hear on this podcast would be, what should you do about it? And the number one thing I would say in that regard is you need to be objectives based and not look so much at what the markets are doing, but stay focused on what it is you're trying to get out of the wealth you've accumulated. And then in our case, and why it makes a nice uh, a blending, as Vin said before, is that we already have a, a pretty well-defined risk management process uh, that's been in place for years and you know, maybe only recently starts to get uh, appreciated because of uh, the way the markets have kind of shocked people, uh, at least here in the fourth quarter. Yep. Yeah, and I, and I would add to that. All great points, Rob. I, I would add to that, too. You just have to put in the work. I mean, it's a it's a lot more work nowadays to to deal with these shorter term time frames, right? I, I mean, and not everybody wants to do that, and I get it. But if you want to try to take advantage of the times and the situation that and and where we are here in the cycle, it's just going to take more work, which we're happy to do because we love it and we're geeks. But <laughs> well, you know, there's a there's an expression that I, I've used for a long time, and I think it's as relevant now as any other time. We've never had more information at our fingertips, thanks to the web, et cetera, social media, but it's never been more ignored. So we have all this information, but so little of it is getting used because the herd mentality tends to dominate. People want to do what's popular. Due diligence is sort of a lost art. And I'm people sure. stick to generalities, and you know what I think. Where it gets call tricky, bull. it gets tricky, Rob. Is there's so much information that you can find confirmation? That's right. For anything you want, you know, oh yeah, I believe in this, and I just found 15 websites and a club I can join that says, you know, I love guinea pigs. So I mean, you <laughs> could <laughs> you could pretty much find anything you want. Are we going to go back and talk about your daughter's guinea pig again? We're not. I did have to bring uh, it up. I, I heard your recording of the first podcast. They're so damn cute, Rob, but we won't waste <laughs> a podcast on it. Um, <laughs> but back to back to opportunities. I'm glad you brought it up because we sound like Scrooge is always talking about uh, risk management and preservation because it's so important. But there, are, there, there's tons of opportunities out there. And as things get more volatile, there's more and more opportunities that are presented to us every single day. But I will say this, that it feels a lot different and it's it's a lot easier to take advantage of those opportunities if you are a preservation first investor. Because if you don't get your clock cleaned like everybody else who's sitting in the corner just waiting for their stuff to come back 
and you've done well and weathered the storm and you're sitting on some cash and maybe you own some treasury bills that you can sell for a small profit and you have a hundred companies that you follow every single day, like some firms that I know, you're going to find those opportunities and damn well take advantage of them. That's really important. Yeah. And, and they're, they're going to come from some, uh, some old places and some new places as well. I mean, you know, we are hedged investors and this is not like 20 years ago where if you wanted to try to profit from uh, a downturn in the broad market or certain parts of the market, you didn't really have a whole lot of tools, especially if you were an individual investor or, or even a, a typical wealth manager. Uh, you know, only the, the most sophisticated institutions had that stuff at their disposal. Now, thanks to this this deluge of investment product out there, you know, especially in the daily liquid markets for trading right on the stock market, uh, there's a lot more that you can do. Uh, and information can allow us, there is an information advantage if you have uh, the information. And uh, so we don't have to abandon investing. Uh, we just have to treat it uh, differently and uh, but uh, one thing we can't do is just assume that this is a blip and that, uh, you know, stocks and bonds will be rocky for uh, six months or 10 percent or 20 percent or whatever. And then it goes away. Uh, cycles tend to be a lot longer than we uh, we think. And there's been quite a build up to this one. Hmm. All right, guys, closing thoughts. Wow, we shouldn't have been stumped by that one. Right. Now, I, I would I would just say. <laughs> Uh, again, be open-minded, right? As an investor, I think you need to have an open mind about about ways to manage money and, and and really take a look at the way you're allocated. And it may be the same way you've been allocated for the last 10 years and, and take a hard look and say, is this going to work moving forward? Don't be afraid to go against the crowd. If your neighbor is telling you how wonderful they're doing owning all the FANG stocks, that's great. You know, I mean, my my neighbor's wife is flipping houses right now and condos. So, you know, that makes me a little bit uh, squirrely. So don't be afraid to go against the grain. And I think you if you ask an athlete why they're better than most of the other athletes, they'll say, because I'm always thinking a few steps ahead. There's the classic Wayne Gretzky thing. I go to where the puck is going, not where it is. And that's why he was such a great uh, scorer. Mm hmm. And I think it's the same way with investing. You know, we're sitting here talking about bear markets, but uh, you know, we're already starting to put in place, hey, what are the things that we want to be doing when the bear market's over? I mean, most people haven't even gotten uh, far enough along to say, oh, there's a bear market. Uh, and there's been one in bonds by our account for over two years already. So thinking ahead, thinking in multiple time frames. And being flexible and uh, and adaptive. Those are, I think, the two key words. Amen. Well, guys, thank you very much for uh, walking us through why things aren't the same uh, and why you do truly need to look at something different. And if you're not evolving, as Vince has said, you know, it's not the smartest or the strongest who survive. It's the ones who adapt. So with that, guys, I want to thank you very much for uh, spending some time with us today. Thanks a lot, Matt. 
Thank Wonderful. You. Well, and if you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure you click that subscribe now button below. That way, when they have a new idea, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And if you know somebody who you would like to have this conversation with, or at least have them have this conversation with our guests, make sure that you share this podcast with them. Because you know what? A lot of times it's just really good to think differently, look at things differently, because if you do that, then you might be able to save yourself a world of hurt later down the road. So for everybody at Sun Garden Investments, this is Matt Hallern, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Thank you for listening to the Investing Evolution podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Vince Esposito and Rob Isbitz are investment advisor representatives with Dynamic Wealth Advisors, DBA Sun Garden Investment Research. All investment advisory services are offered through Dynamic Wealth Advisors. The material in this podcast has been distributed for informational purposes only. The material contained in this podcast is not a solicitation to purchase or sell any security or offer any investment advice. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any form or referred to in any other publication without expressed written permission. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Vince Esposito and Rob Isbitz are also the sub-advisors of the Dunham Alternative Dividend Fund. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risk factors, charges, and expenses of the Dunham Alternative Dividend Fund carefully before investing. This and other important information is contained within the fund's prospectus, which may be obtained by contacting your financial advisor or by calling toll-free 800-442-4358. Please read prospectus materials carefully before investing.